If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. This is going to sound familiar to the Sunday school class. <laughs> but uh, I have been thinking just a little bit about um, where we have, have come as a culture. Um, many of the things that we have observed and seen over the last couple of years... Um, I don't know about your life having been changed, but mine has. Uh, I didn't anticipate the last two years. Isn't that, isn't that strange? I didn't anticipate that this would have been the direction um, that our world would have taken, uh, the turns that would have taken place. I, I don't know about you, but for those of you who love the Lord, have you been drawn closer to the Lord? Amazing, isn't it, how through adversity, adversity and difficulty we're drawn to the Lord to trust Him more. God's grace, uh, do you appreciate the means of grace and the things of God more than you did? Yes, especially I've missed you in worship. It was very tough. I remember coming to this place, standing in this pulpit and preaching a sermon, and David and Bob and them were back there recording that thing and it just, I'm going to tell you, it just was not, it was not the same. Um, God has given us the grace as the church to be together. And may we hold that precious and dear. And I pray that all the days of your life that you will hold precious your relationship with your church and with your church family and that you will Abide with each other and encourage one another in the things of the Lord in the day in which you live. So that when we do get to heaven, when we finally get there, uh, that we'll look back and say, Lord, thank you for my church. Amen? Thank you for your church. <laughs> but it was my church too. <laughs> and uh, thank you for that. So First uh, Corinthians, we, um, we have gone through much. And... Um, Oftentimes, uh, one of the things that the church has to deal with um, is worldly influence in the church. Do you realize that that's where we have been heading for quite some time now? The desire for worldly influence in the life of the church of Jesus Christ. Well, let me declare... Uh, in the Lord's pulpit, that the church is altogether different than what the world has to offer. Altogether, not to say that we should not be concerned about cultural issues. We certainly should be, shouldn't we? But the church of Jesus Christ is not been put here on the earth to change culture. Are you surprised by that? The church of Jesus Christ has been put here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and call those in that gospel whom are His. And He claims them. He transforms their life and they go out into a culture and for Christ they make a difference. For there is no ultimately changing the disposition or the nature of culture apart from a relationship to the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit 
in our life. There's really not sufficient or adequate transformation that pleases God otherwise. I think that some of the things that I saw, the ideas are noble, but have you noticed in the ideal thinking of the world how destructive it ends up? Have you noticed that? I was thinking about the French Revolution. You know, there's declaration for revolution today, and progressive ideas have certainly kind of taken the forefront. You well know that. I'm not telling you anything new. But one of the leaders of the French Revolution, he said, uh, we have strangled the last king in France with the guts of the last priest in France. And I thought about all the destruction and all the dangerous ideas that I've seen over the last couple of years uh, that which the ideas seem to be so supreme, but the consequences and the results seem to be so dark. and So destructive. The church is called to be a, a different people. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you in Corinth. Um, and here, with regard to 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is having to deal with a lot of issues in the Corinthian church. Uh, whereby the influence of the world has come to the church. And the Apostle Paul is having to make clear what it means to be a Christian. And a lot of these believers that have come out of uh, the Western philosophy of Plato and Aristotle are bringing those ideas of knowledge and those ideas of understanding uh, what it means to live in this world. They are bringing that to the life of the church. And the gospel, uh, Paul says, is something that transforms the life and transforms our paradigms before we came to Christ and the way we looked at it and the ideas that we had that sometimes didn't, they were sometimes in their minds great ideas, but all of a sudden the fruit of it was really destructive, was not glorifying to God. And the church of Jesus Christ has been called to be that entity, that organism, uh, that body of God whereby we honor Him and His will. How do we deal with a culture that has essentially attempted to kill God? Or a God uh, that is made up in the imagination and minds of men and women. The idea of God, for the most part, has been put to death by our culture in terms of its contemporary manifestations. And in that, the church has a real question to ask itself, who is it that the Lord has called us to be? And what is the place of the church in the light of all this change and all that is going on? Who is it that the Lord wants us to be and what should we be about? The church of Jesus Christ is something that Paul defends. And he defends it against the worldly influences that might impact the church, we were talking in uh, about Corinthians this morning, chapter 8, uh, meat sacrificed to idols, and we said that, uh, you know, that may not seem to be a relevant question to us, but, you know, to them who lived in Corinth, uh, idol worship and meat sacrificed to idols was an everyday thing. It was a part of their life. 
And naturally, they as new Christians ask those questions. And what I say to you today, you need to be asking questions contemporary to what you're facing in culture, just like the Corinthians. Because, by the way, we're living in the new Corinth. We are the new Corinth. And you need to be asking the right questions. I like what uh, my friend Dr. Phillips at the Second Presbyterian Church said in South Carolina. He said the church needs to be asking, are we being biblically faithful? Are we as the church being biblically faithful? And he said of his own congregation, he says he expects them to ask that question and to ask it often and to ask it frequently so that we might not lose our way. Are we being biblically faithful? As a denomination, we will have our General Assembly in just a couple of weeks and many questions are being raised. What about the woke ideas of our culture? I responded to him in this way. The only woke that I want to see in the life of the church is a great awakening to Jesus Christ and to His Word and a revival among God's people. That's the woke I want to see. And I hope that you will continue to pray, Keith Johnson. I'd say that because every time Keith prays, he opens his mouth and he prays for revival. And I love that. I just love that heart. And we as God's people should take note and follow suit. Um, the, um, the, the idea of being raised in terms of the question being asked, is there such a thing as a gay Christian? Do you know that? Issue was raised on the floor of the General Assembly last year. And do you know some defended the notion that there is such a thing as a gay Christian? And, uh, and you know, I think that that's a little bit of a scary question, but can I tell you that in the New Corinth, uh, those are the very hearts of the issues that are changing our culture at the present time. The departure from God's Word with regard to all the things that he's instituted regarding family and regarded uh, an understanding of what it means to have a relationship. All those things are being put into question at the present time and already has uh, ingrained itself in our culture. You realize that when immorality and sin institutionalizes itself, do you know how hard it is to go back to change that? And, and by the way, all of this has moral content to it, doesn't it? All of this is, is rooted not in objective secular ideas. But dear friends, all of the movement that we have seen in the days past have a, have a moral root. And I, all that we are as a people are laid open and bare before God with whom we have to do. And so don't, don't take for granted the days in which you're living in the new Corinth. But I encourage you to be aware of the issues. Ask the right questions as the church of Jesus Christ. And most certainly be with Dr. Phillips when as a confessionalist and a person who holds to the Reformed faith dearly and to the Word of God and to the love of Christ and the Gospel when he asks the question to our whole denomination. Are we biblically faithful to these issues? There are a lot of serious issues before God's people. And let me read this passage of Scripture because Paul deals with it up front. 
beginning with verse 10. The Apostle Paul in chapter 1 says this, May God bless the reading of His Word. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Kylo's people that there is quarreling among my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow Cephas, that is Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. May God add His blessing to the reading of His holy and precious Word of God. Uh, I preach this sermon because General Assembly is coming before us, and you need to keep uh, those matters of mind. Just to bring you up to speed, I'm not, um, not always been as faithful as I need to be to bring you some of the issues that we face as, as a church. But just to let you know, um, as with all churches, they go through changes. Uh, 600 of our confessionalist uh, elders, teaching and ruling elders, um, wrote a letter to the assembly of concern about the direction of the church. They were concerned uh, that progressive ideas may influence the life of the Presbyterian Church in America, and they were desperately concerned that that we don't give way to culture as other denominations have. Some of us have been in churches and denominations in which we had to watch the horror of the church cave in the gospel and give the things of God away and cave in to liberalism. We Some of us know the pain of that and the hurt of that, and some had to make deep sacrifices in order for that to occur. Well, apparently, the letter of the 600 elders and confessionalists and reforms in the church, and many of them were older guys in, in the church who were our elders, um, the letter was essentially dismissed. Uh, summarily as saying, listen, they're not really deep-rooted theological issues we're dealing with here, but it's a matter of form and it's a matter of preference and uh, just the way we do things, and it's different from that church and different from this church. But there are many who are getting some of the uh, the idea and the feeling that 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 maybe it may be more than that. And so I only say that to you so that you will pray for the life of the church. And the heart of this idea is Christ divided. Remember that Paul asked that question to his believers there at Corinth uh, about the divisions that have been created and uh, some of them have taken party lines. 
And again, for those who you're in the, in the first Corinthians class, we know that where that thinking comes from, don't we? We know it comes from Plato and Aristotle. We know it came from the thinking of the culture. And, and really the dynamic that is at work here, uh, even within the PCA is oftentimes that fluid struggle, uh, between, uh, the, the world and its influences and the desire for biblical truth and to be honoring to the Lord. And listen, I remember the early days of the PCA. We really took a stand, didn't we? Uh, and, and boy, what a glorious thing it was to say that through my ministry, through the time that I'll I'll be there in a minute. (laughs) Let me. uh, Through the time that God has given me to be in the ministry, which I don't deserve, uh, I have gloried in the stand of my fathers in the church. I have rejoiced over their stand for Christ and the truth of the gospel and the reformed faith and a love for his word. I have rejoiced in that and I've seen that goodness and I thank God that he has allowed me to minister through a period of time in which we have seen the goodness of God in the PCA. Amen? Okay. Now, you know where I'm at. (laughs) I'll get it together. But I only respond because it means something. And it means something to you. Let me write, let me read a, a little letter that my friend Dr. Phillips wrote, and this is just an excerpt from it. But he says, uh, progressive PCA leaders may multiply letters and signatures denouncing the motives and attitude of concerned confessionalists. But revoice and critical race theory require an answer to the question, are we being biblically faithful? The men sounding alarms include ministers of long service and high repute who have a demonstrated track record of gospel fruitfulness to disparage their motives and character prior to our gathering as a general assembly. A tactic known as gaslighting does not foster brotherhood, but incites a climate of increased conflict. Uh, Sometimes the stand for Christ is not always uh, easy, is it? That uh, do, do we have a right to ask the question, as Dr. Phillips said, are we being biblically faithful? Is that a legitimate question? It is a legitimate question. And I tell you what, any time that you find you asking a biblical question and you find resistance or a lack of knowledge from Scripture in return, know that there's a problem and most likely a worldly influence in the church. Because those who know their Word and who know Christ will be sensitive to those matters. Have you not been trained as a believer to be sensitive between good and evil now that you're in Christ? It's true, isn't it? Quite sensitive to the issues. And because you know what is at stake. 
My dear friends, if the church gives way to progressivism or gives way to liberalism like we once did, you know what we sacrifice? We sacrifice the gospel of Jesus Christ which saves. We give way the things of God that make us distinctively the church of Jesus Christ. And therefore, what can we say about the salvation of souls in a condition of a church like that? What are we to say? I think that um, I like the life of Joseph. You see, Paul was dealing with those cultural influences within Corinth and those divisions among the brothers. It was because the worldly ideas had come in and they had become partisan. They had gone around and gotten in particular little groups. And Paul says, well, that's not, that's not Christ. Is Christ divided? No. Uh, that's why he says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you so you couldn't glorify me and say, I'm of Paul. And my dear friends, we have to beware of taking the precious things of the gospel and the precious things of Christ and reducing them down to a worldly notion of man. We have to be careful in terms of our handling the Word of God. And I would ask you in terms of all of these matters, and one again, one of the reasons I preach this, what is the original court of jurisdiction in the Presbyterian Church in America, in the Reformed faith? What is the court of original jurisdiction? Do you know it is here, the session? Uh, you as elders, deacons, pastor, have an awesome responsibility to defend the cause of Christ in the life of the church. And listen, your warfare today against the influence of the world is great. And what I suspect will get greater. And I encourage you to be faithful in your matter of dealing with things on the local level. That's what I told one brother. He had an issue with the church. I said, well, if your local session is not willing to solve it, we have recourse and we'll let the presbytery solve it. And if the presbytery won't solve it biblically, guess what? We have the whole General Assembly we can take that matter to. And uh, I hope that you will be happy with the answer. (laughs) So, my dear friends, uh, it's like a snowball. We have checks and balances. We have recourse But dear friends, isn't it great when you have a session and leaders in a local church who take up the matter here and present it to their people and deal with the issues spiritually here? Pray for a session like that. Pray for a church like that where they are proactive and they take up the matters of the things of Christ here in the life of the church. Um, I'll go back. I I love Joseph. Uh, One of the things Joseph... um, Faced a lot of adversity. He faced a lot of wrong against him by his own brothers. Um, Dad always liked you first. <laughs> and Joseph was cast into a pit. They were going to kill him originally. Thrown him into a dry well and sold him to slavery. And he ends up in Egypt in Potiphar's house. And um, one of the things that in all of that, Joseph could have been very bitter, couldn't he? in the light of all the stuff that he had to face. But there was a sense that God was with him and he was in God's presence and no matter what his circumstances were, 
Joseph had a sense of God's presence in his life. And even being a servant in Potiphar's house, Joseph, even after all the adversity, was willing to call sin, sin. Wasn't he? He Didn't he have an awareness of it? He seemed to be overtly aware. How can I do this great evil against my master Potiphar and sin against the Lord my God? He calls sin, sin. And I tell you what, my dear friends, the church of Jesus Christ is going to have to take that stand in which we call sin what God calls sin whether it's in the life of the world or whether it's in our life. And we're particularly concerned about it when it's in our life as the church. We need to call sin, sin what it is. And aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit tempers your heart and gives you a sensitivity to it? Your conscience. I tell you what, you thank God if your conscience still bothers you. Can I tell you for most, it's not an issue anymore. Isn't that sad? For most now, it's not an issue anymore. But if God speaks to your heart, be thankful. Be thankful for that. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. Also pray that the church would know the difference between right and wrong. Uh, The world wants to obscure right and wrong right now. As a matter of fact, it seems like the whole idea of morality has turned on its head now. <laughs> they call that which is good evil, and they call what is evil good. Have you noticed that? Have you seen it? And all of a sudden someone says, oh, you take a stand against abortion and against uh, people's rights to take life. And um, uh, you are, I'm sorry, Mr. Minister, you are wrong. You are morally wrong. Isn't that interesting? Be be ready because that's what you're going to get from the world. As a matter of fact, the church, in terms of the progressive ideas, look upon you in such a way as a confessional reformed church. They look at you as very archaic. And the desire is simply to marginalize you. You're essentially unimportant because your views are so uh, difficult and partial is the gospel partial? I tell you what, my dear friends, the gospel is preached. It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? It's the matter of man's heart that makes it partial. And boy, you can see it spiritually. You can almost tell where people are coming from spiritually when they attack Christ and His church and His people. You know where the spiritual mark is of darkness. Because one who truly knows the Lord would not even purport or even think such things. Knowing Christ who made us alive, quickened us, translated us from darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. The things that we hold in Christ are precious. And you will be disparaged by the world in its darkness. In this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. 
I pray that you will live as children of God, asking God to give you a discernment between good and evil, that you will grow in your knowledge of the Word. I love the end of uh, Peter where it says, but, but grow, Paul, I love Peter, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is my prayer for you as a people in Christ. We also are a people, and Joseph was aware of it, of God's presence, wasn't he? Wasn't he aware of God's presence? His brothers come down to Egypt and the Lord has elevated him in his own time. Think about the humility of Joseph. And at due time, God raises him and puts him in position. His brothers recognize him <laughs> and they fear for their life. And, and don't, isn't it amazing what Joseph said to them? And when he saw them, he wept and he fell upon their necks. And he said, you meant this as evil against me, but God meant it for good that many people might be made alive. Don't you think, don't you pray that as you go through life, after everything that you've been through, that you're able to look back on it and say, God, the world meant that as evil, but you meant it for good. Isn't it, wouldn't it be a joy to be able to say that and know the presence of God in your life in that way? Thank you, Lord, for the life you've given me. And thank you for your grace in my life. Boy, the world was evil, but God, I saw your goodness. I saw, I saw your hand at work and all that. And it was good. I pray that you will, as a Christian, be able to be a part of a church that will maintain that great truth. And then finally, uh, Joseph had a great sense of destiny, didn't he? A future a future for his people. And the church has a great sense of uh, to proclaim with regard to the future. But we not only proclaim faithfulness and obedience to God in the gospel of Christ now while we're here on this earth. How many of you, the years have passed by pretty quick? Some, some of you, the years passed by pretty quick? I don't know about you, but I don't know what happened. <laughs> I... I and she's still working me as hard as ever. I mean, you got to give a, a poor guy a break sometime. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Life changed. <laughs> this world passes away so quickly, doesn't it? Honor, honor the Lord. My prayer is, Lord, I know I'm going to heaven in Christ because of justification by faith in Him and His finished work. But you know what I prayed? Lord... I want my life to count for you while I'm here. While I'm here, I want Christ to be seen. I don't want to end that day and go home to be with the Lord and look back and there be nothing of a love for the Lord and a walk with Him. That's what I cry over for you. I want your life to count for Christ now. And boy, some of you have little ones. You're the ones I'm really praying for too. Because you've got to raise those little ones. And you've got to raise it in all this. My dear friends, it's an awesome task, isn't it? And the church now has an awesome task. I'll tell you what, in the light of all that seems to be overflowing us in culture with regard to progressive ideas, I say this to you. And by the way, these are not my own. Dr. Kevin DeYoung gave me those. And by the way, if you want to read it in its fullness, it's back there in that little yellow buffet. 
Um, Keith, there's that by faith right there. There's a yellow by faith. Show it to them. I want you to see that because I want you to read this. See, it'll double the sermon. <laughs> but, and Dr. Kevin DeYoung, and um, he wrote this, and he said, There is a distinction between the church and the world. And we do have to be careful of worldly influence in the life of the church. Paul was dealing with it in the book of Corinth. He was dealing with Western Greek thought that was predominant in the culture. And it was attempting to overtake the church. Even these who had divided up. Some say I'm of Apollos and some say that I'm of Cephas, that is Peter. And some say that I'm of Paul and some say that I'm that division. Do you know the division that came there was a Greek idea that if you became a teacher or a leader, you oversaw your group and you led your group in terms of your teaching. That was Greek thinking. That was the classical Greek thought with regard to what the nature of education was. You had the lead teacher and he was the cat's meow. <laughs> he was the big boy. He was, he was the guy that, that led and, and you glorified him. And Paul says, oh no, 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 no. We don't glorify the teacher. We don't glorify the preacher or the elder. We, we glorify and honor the Lord and His Word. That's who we are. That's who we are as God's people. Each one has been placed in the body of Christ just as He's seen fit to function in the way that God has called Him by His gift. And no one is more important than the other in the life of the church. No one. They are all God's children purchased by His blood. Don't you rejoice in that? And Dr. DeYoung says, the church in these days needs to shore up its ship in the light of all that's moving so fast progressively out in the world, that what the church of Jesus Christ needs to do is simply take a good look of, at who we are as the kingdom of God on the earth. That who, who we are as the people of God called to be His church. And he said, first of all, that we need to know that the church of Jesus Christ has been called in power to preach the gospel. That we've been called in the power of the Holy Spirit to be who He's called us to be. The church of Jesus Christ. And that we are to maintain that with integrity. And I love what he said. He said, if we, if we get the church right, the Lord will bless us. He will lead us if we get the church right. We don't need to spin our wheels and say the world is going to muck. We knew that a long time ago. We knew that in our own life when the Lord brought us to Himself and identified our own sin. But my dear friends, the church of Jesus Christ is altogether different. And Paul defends that against the classical Greek knowledge of leadership and teaching and education. He calls them to be what? Is Christ, is Christ divided? No, no. They're not superior teachers to be followed and deified. No, 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 no. That is not the nature of the church and that is not the nature of the gospel and that is not the nature of who He's called us to be as the church. We need to be about who God has called us to be, Dr. DeYoung says. And by the way, it's a power. My dear friends, think about this, that... Uh, I would warn the world to be careful to toy with God's people because uh, God, God is pretty powerful. I always think about Paul 
who was Saul, who persecuted God's people. And do you remember what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus? Listen, Saul, listen, Saul would have continued his assault upon the church of Jesus Christ if there had not been an intervention. But can I tell you, was there an intervention? Oh, yes, there was. And it was not one of us in the church that did it. Boom! Just like that. Saul, Saul, why? Listen, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou the church? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You mess with the Lord's church and you mess with Him. Is that, is that a vernacular way of putting it? And I, I'm serious about that. And Dr. DeYoung reminded me of that also. Powerful, that the church is not just a little social gathering, but you are the church of Jesus Christ of whom the Lord is King over. And He is powerful All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that I'm Lord. All authority. So my dear friends, when you go out into the world as a Christian and and you get what the world has to give you, just remember who holds the power in His hand. And just with a blink, the Lord can just blink His eyebrow. <laughs> and our lives will radically change. And also the life of the ungodly. I encourage you to serve the Lord with fear and trembling because you're in a kingdom of power in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's nothing to play with. You're talking about the power of God at work in the life of His people. Be careful not to mess with God's people because then you'll have to mess with God. Dr. DeYoung goes on and says, also the church of Jesus Christ is a place of God's grace. Isn't that true in the gospel of Jesus Christ? The church of Jesus Christ is a place of God's grace. And that grace bears fruit in our conduct and our life with each other. And so therefore, it's not like we have an idea over here and then it goes south and becomes destructive. We don't have to burn the buildings. We don't have to treat people with disrespect. We don't have to act uncommonly in culture. My dear friends, Christ saves us by His grace. The grace of His Son. And that tempers us. That, that tempers us to live for Him even in the midst God has not called us out of the world. What? I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world. What? Sanctify them in your truth. Thy word is truth. May the Lord sanctify you wholly to live within the context in which you are presently living as the church, full of power and full of grace. I love Dr. DeYoung as he gives the third point. I think he's going to really like I preached his sermon, isn't he? <laughs> Listen, just tell him it was for, for publicity's sake in the buffet. <laughs> but it struck me so so deeply, and I hope you'll get a copy of that by faith and read it fully. 
Because it really struck my heart about the church and who we need to be. That's what we need to be about. That also the church of Jesus Christ promotes a hope, a true and genuine and loving hope for the future. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, isn't it wonderful that in Christ it is not only a place of power, but the church is a place of His grace in Christ, but also it's, it's a tremendous vision and a glimpse into the future that He has for us. The church of Jesus Christ is a tremendous, tremendous blessing about the future. Well, our time is gone. But the church of Jesus Christ, I say to you, we just need to get it right. We, we probably can't change the world. <laughs> but I tell you what, Christ has called us into a body of believers, hasn't He? To be a part of His people. And can I tell you, that's where God has promised in His Word to ordinarily work. Um, among His people in the church. May God, one of the doxologies, may Jesus Christ be Father, Son, Holy Spirit be glorified through the church. I think that's Romans 1. Through the church. And I pray that uh, God will give us a strong sense as a session, that as a minister, as those who serve in the life of His church, that you will join with me with Dr. Phillips. Are we being biblically faithful? Dr. Phillips is going to like me too. I used his sermon too. Man, what's that preacher? Listen, there are a lot of good resources. Are we being biblically faithful? That's what we need to ask as a church. And if we are, I believe Christ will honor it. But my dear friends, if we are not, we need to take caution. And we need to be careful. And we need to take our stand for Christ alone. Amen? Amen. May the Lord be with you. Lord, we thank you for your people. And we thank you for your church. Lord, you warned uh, those at Ephesus to be careful. He warned them that the church that they oversaw that those dear ones were purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that changes the whole game when it is your people whom you have purchased with your own blood is at stake. I pray, Father, that you would help us in these days to not be deterred or cast aside or marginalized because we are the church by modern thought, and modern ideas of revolution. But Father, I pray that all the more as we see the darkness of the world unfold in its destruction, that Lord, You would make us stronger as Your people. And that Lord, You will bind us together in the love of Christ. And that all the more we will preach the gospel of our Savior. And all the more we will stand against those things by which the Word stands against. And that, Father, You will give us a strong sense of right and wrong. But at the same time, all that would be tempered by the love of our Lord. Lord, teach us how to, how to ask the right questions. Help us to seek Your Word for the right answers. And Lord, teach us obedience and grant us repentance and faith so that the church may be strong 
and that the gospel may be go, go forth in power. Oh Lord, we pray that we would not be a hindrance to the gospel as your people, but that this place would be a place where the avenue is open and direct and that God works. Lord, work in us as you see fit for your glory. Teach us evermore concerning the days that we live in. Very similar to Corinth. The new Corinthians. Oh my. Lord, could it be that we're facing those same issues? Many of them, yes. Many of them in a different coat. But Lord, it looks like the same thing. Lord, keep us in your care and protect us and watch over us. In Jesus' name we pray.